The following is a teaching from Church of the Redeemer. We pray that you will be blessed by this teaching. Grab your Bibles and your teaching sheets as we wrap up a series of messages we've been involved in for actually five weeks. It's our sixth week in the series called House Builders. And I'm going to continue the idea of expecting God to work in your house. Just a quick reminder, uh, Jody mentioned it a couple of moments ago. I just want to highlight it. I really want to encourage you to be with us as we start our new series next weekend, 10 Lessons for a Life of Significance. One of the greatest characters in the Bible is King David. It's a tremendous set of lessons that we learn from his life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm telling you that these lessons will make a difference for you. It's also, as he mentioned, a great time to invite people to church. Here's an interesting statistic. Uh, 80% of the people that are not non-church attenders said that they would go to church if a family or friend invited them. Think about that. Eight out of 10 people that don't go to church said, I would go to church if just one of my family members or friends invited me. So there are lots of people. Would you agree? There are a lot of people in our community that need Jesus. Amen? And one of the best places for them to find Jesus is in church, to be in the presence of God. So invite someone to be a part of this. It's going to be a great time together as we go through the fall in this series. And then just to underscore as well the importance of groups. Christianity, walking with Christ, is not, doesn't just happen individually. It happens in community. It happens with people around you. And so I encourage you to use that little card today and uh, express your interest in being a part of a group. It'll be a great blessing in your life if you'll do that. We're involved in this series called House Builders, and one of the significant words of the Bible is the word house. It's interesting that in the English version of your Bible, the New International Version, as I'm referring to it here, over 900 times you find the word house. Anytime God says something 900 times, I think it's fairly important. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word house has a variety of meanings, especially when you come into the New Testament. There's a particular Greek word that is used for house, and that is the word oikos, and it means far beyond just your physical location, although it certainly refers to your address, the place you live. But the word house refers to anything that you're building with your life. Your life is a house. Your life is a house or a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your marriage is a house. Your family is a house. Your business environment. It is a place where significant things are being done and things are being built. Anytime something is built, it is extremely important that it is built well if it's going to last. If you do not build something well, it's not going to endure. Jesus himself made this reference in Matthew chapter 7, where he talked about two men building houses. He said, one man built a house, but he built it on the sand, and another man built a house, but he built it on the rock, and the storms came to both houses. See, storms come to all of us at times. We face the rain and the wind of life. Just because you're a believer doesn't mean you're not going to have problems in life. Problems are a part of life. And so here Jesus says, the rain and the storms came to both houses, and the Man who built his house on the, on the sand, his house collapsed. It could not withstand the storm, but the man who built his house on the rock, his house endured. I want to build my house on the rock. I believe that you do too. I want to build it well. One of the ways that we build our house well is to build it with God, to make sure that he's a part of our house. We're learning how to connect with him and work with him in the process and to allow him to work in our house. I'm going to talk to you today about a specific aspect of how God wants to work in your house. I'm going to talk about God's provision in your house. 
How does God work in terms of provision in your house? Six things we'll look at for the next few moments together. Number one, first thing today to remember is that you and I need to believe that God wants to be our supernatural source. God wants to be the supernatural source of provision in your house. He wants to provide for you and your household. One of the most important things to understand about the nature of God is that God by nature is a provider. We know him as the heavenly father and as a part of being our heavenly father, his role, his responsibility, his commitment to us is to provide for us. I'll take you quickly back to Genesis chapter 22 and tell you a quick story. Then we're gonna look at a major story in the Bible as well that emphasizes this fact. Abraham was told by God one day to take his son, his only son Isaac, up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him to God. The reason that Abraham was told to sacrifice his son to God was it was a test of Abraham's faith. Would he believe God and trust God because he was his only son and he had been promised that he was going to have a nation and you can't have a nation without a seed. And so this was a test of Abraham's faith. Could God do this work? And so he takes Isaac up the mountain. They're on their journey to Mount Moriah where Abraham is going to sacrifice his son to the Lord in obedience to God's command to him. And he goes up, as he's going up the mountain, of course, sacrifice requires certain kinds of things that you carry with you. You carry the wood for the fire. You carry the knife to slay the, the lamb or the animal that's going to be slain. And so you have these things that you carry with you. As they're going up the mountain, Isaac looks at his father, Abraham, and realizes he's got the fire and he's got the knife, but he doesn't have a sacrifice. So he begins to ask the question of his, his father, Father, what, what, what's this about? We don't seem to have a sacrifice here. And so obviously as you go through the story, we'll read more of it in a few moments, God did provide a sacrifice. Isaac was not taken by the hand of his father. God provided a ram at that moment. And Abraham make this, made this statement recorded in Genesis 22, verse number 14. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. There that day Abraham came to understand one of God's great names, and that name is Jehovah Jireh. God is the God who provides. And just as God, listen closely, just as God provided for the house of Abraham, God wants to provide for your house. He wants to be Jehovah Jireh at your house. I want you to know him as Jehovah Jireh. There's another story, as I mentioned, I'm going to take you to now in 2 Kings chapter 4 that describes this provision, this supernatural source of God in our lives, our families. It takes place during the ministry of a prophet by the name of Elisha. Look at the story of the wife. This is verse 1, 2 Kings 4. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that he, re he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She said, she went and told the, the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Here is a clear example in the Bible of God supernaturally providing for a house. 
Here's a lady who needed something in her house. And there are a lot of important lessons from this story, but the first lesson is this. We start with the fact that God wants to be the supernatural source of provision in your house. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that God wants to be Jehovah Jireh at your address? God wants to be Jehovah Jireh where you live. God wants to be Jehovah Jireh in your own individual life, in your business and everything that relates to you. God says, I want to be your supernatural source. You start with confidence in that fact. The second thing that I want to share with you today based out of this story is to realize that lack is a part of life. Lack is a part of life. Lack is very real. Everybody experiences lack at some level. If we took time this morning to have each of you write on a piece of paper, what are you lacking in your life? I would imagine that everybody could put at least one thing down. Maybe you're lacking wisdom for something that you're trying to deal with in the family or in your business. Maybe you're lacking strength, going through a really tough time in your life. Maybe you feel weary and worn out. You need some strength and you feel like you're lacking it. Maybe you have a financial need. There's some lack in that realm. Maybe it's health that you're lacking. I cannot describe all the different dimensions of lack in lives today, but I can tell you this. Lack is something that happens to everybody. If you're going through a lack in your life today, understand this, you are normal. It's the normal thing to have lack in our lives. The story that we see here in 2 Kings chapter 4, chapter four is a story of lack. Look again at verse number one. The, one. the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Note some things about this lady. She was a godly lady. She was the wife of one of the prophets. So she was not someone that didn't know God. She knew God and nevertheless, she still had a need. You can know God and still have needs in your life. She knew God, but she still had a need. She was very needy, and without, without a miraculous provision in her life, she was facing a very grim future. Her, her two sons were going to be sold into slavery to pay the debts that her husband had left behind. This lady was lacking resources. Lack is a part of life. It happens to all of us. It is an unavoidable part of life. Don't be surprised. Don't be frustrated. When, when lack comes your way, it's a reality. But please remember this. Your lack can be the key that links you to God. This is what we find in the story. Your lack can be the very key that links you to God. And that's why when you and I have lack in our life, we need to do this third thing. Third point of my message today is we need to confidently go to God with our need, with our lack. So yes, God is my supernatural source. I acknowledge that. I believe that. But nevertheless, I still have some lack in my life. So what do I do with my lack? How do I connect that to the supernatural source? The, the, the Jehovah, the one who is Jehovah Jireh for my life, I confidently go to God with my lack, with my need. Because lack is a reminder that we need God. 
That's part of the purpose of lack in your life. It links you, it draws you, it allows you to recognize, I need God to work in my life. Jesus gave us a very important story about this recorded in Luke chapter 15. Let me set the story up, then we'll read a few verses from this in just a moment. Jesus told a parable, a story that illustrated a principle. He said there was this, this young man who lived with his father and an elder brother, his older brother, and this young man had a lot of desires for his life. I'm paraphrasing here. He wanted to go out and have a good time, and so he goes to his dad and says, Dad, I want all my inheritance right now. I want the money that's going to come to me. Give it to me now. I don't want to wait on it. I want it now. I got places to go and things to do with my life. I want to go have a good time. And so the father gave him his inheritance and he left home. When he left home, he had a good time for a short period of time. Remember something, folks, sin is pleasurable for a season, but the season always runs out. So he goes out and has some pleasure. He lives in a pleasurable, fun way for a season, but he's living in sin, and sin always has its payday. There's always a payday when you come to the point of everything now has been wiped out in my life because I've gone opposite of Father. I've gone opposite of God. And so this is what happened to this young man's life, and he finds himself without anything at all. He's spent all of his inheritance. He has no food, no place to live. He's in a significant place of lack. He ends up with a a job feeding pigs in a pig pen and longing for the food that the pigs were eating because he had nothing in his life. What an amazing story. And I want you to see what happens here in this story recorded now in verses 17 and 18 of Luke chapter 15. When he came to his... What does it say there again? There's nothing like a pig pen to bring you to your senses. Right? The smell alone will wake you up, okay? When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? That's not lack, right? That's the opposite of lack. And here I am starving to death. I have all this lack in my life. Notice what he says next. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. What prompted this young man to head back home to his father. The lack in his life prompted him to get back in relationship with his father. If there's anything good in lack, and there is, one of the great things that can happen to you when you find lack in your life is to realize that my lack can link me and lead me to God. This is what happened for the widow that we see in Elisha, the story of Elisha in this ministry in 2 Kings chapter 4. Let me take you back to verse one again. Notice closely what happens here. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. That simple statement, cried out to Elisha, is a statement that reveals to us what this lady did when she cried out to Elisha She was, in essence, crying out to God. She's calling upon God in her desperation. When you and I call upon God in the midst of desperation and pain in our life and lack in our life, there's some things that we need to remember, that when you go to God with pain and need and problems in your life, there are some things you need to recognize when you bring those needs to Him. And I gave these four things to you on your notes. I'm going to ask you to read each of them together with me because I want to underscore them as we speak them and hear them together. The first thing that we need to remember, read with me, that God already what? He 
already knows your needs. It's great to realize that God, when I'm coming to God, I've got some lack in my life. I don't need to come to God to inform him of my lack. God already knows my lack. God knows everything in your life right now. He knows the problems you're facing. He knows the lack that you're experiencing. God already knows everything about you. Matthew 10, 29 through 31, are not two sparrows, Jesus said this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid, you're worth more than many sparrows. Jesus said, you got to realize how intimately God knows you. God knows you so intimately that every hair on your head has a number. For some of you, God adjusted his arithmetic this morning, okay? For some, he added. For some, he subtracted, okay? Some of you are getting close to zero, okay? But God knows every... If he knows us that intimately, he knows the need in your life right now. God's not ignorant of your need. Second thing, read with me. God cares. Circle that word. God cares deeply about your needs. See, it's one thing to know something about somebody that's a painful thing to know about them. It's another thing to really care. I've had people before that I shared a problem with. They didn't care. How do I know they didn't care? Because as soon as I finished telling them my problem, they went into their problems, okay? Well, you think yours is bad. Let me tell you mine. Okay. You've been there, right? But when we come to God, God is the ultimate supreme God of the universe. He does not have any needs, Okay. And so when you and I come to God, he knows our needs, but he also cares deeply about our needs. Matthew 6, 30, Jesus again made this statement. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He's reminding us that he cares about the smallest details in our life. Then we need to remember third thing, read together. God invites you to what? Bring your needs to him. So when you and I are connecting to God about a need in our life, we realize God knows already, so I don't need to really inform him of my need. He knows what's going on. He really cares about what's going on in my life. And now I just simply need to to come to him and bring those needs because he's invited me to tell him what's going on with me. A lot of folks have a challenge with this. They think, you know, God doesn't really, he's, he's got a lot of things going on. Certainly he doesn't care. He doesn't want me to bring everything to him. He doesn't want me talking. It's such a seemingly small problem. But God wants you to to bring every need to him. He's invited you to do so. There's an open invitation to come to him anytime you have need of him and consistently with your life. Look at Matthew 11, 28 again. Jesus' words, come to me. Would you agree that's an invitation? Would you agree that's an invitation? I say, come over here. That's an invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, all of you who are pressed down by problems, all you who are burdened by some kind of lack in your life. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I'll meet you, and I'll supply what you need in your life. Hebrews 4, 16, let us then approach. To approach is to come to. Let us then approach the throne of grace. Who's sitting on the throne of grace? Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and his throne is the throne of grace. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, notice this, with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The fourth thing to remember when you're 
connecting to God about a need in your life, read together with me. God is able to meet your needs. Circle the word able. He's able. Somebody can care about a need in your life but still not be able to help you. God not only cares and invites you to come, but he's also able to help you and to meet those needs. Philippians 4.19, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Can I ask you this morning, how rich is heaven? How many resources are in heaven? I would remind you that in heaven, there's all the wisdom you will ever need. In heaven, there's all the strength that you will ever need. In heaven, there's any resource you'll ever need in your life. Heaven is rich with resources. That's why Paul the apostle said, my God will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Needs are able to be met because the resources of heaven are available to us Let me quickly remind you of one other thing related to that verse. It says, my God will meet or supply all of your needs. It doesn't say that he will meet or supply all of your greeds. The difference between a need and a greed. Genesis 22, I talked about the story of Abraham a few moments ago and Isaac, and let me take you back to the story as they're going up the mountain. Abraham, as Isaac, is asking, how about the sacrifice? Dad, where's the lamb? Who, what are we going to sacrifice here? I don't see, I see everything else. I don't see a lamb. What's going on here? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Once they get to the top, Abraham establishes the altar, puts Isaac on the altar, and raises his knife to take Isaac's life if you can imagine that. And as in that moment, God stopped him and said, no, don't take his life. And Abraham looked over in the thicket, in the, in the, in the vegetation, and there was a, lamb, a ram caught there because God had provided what Abraham needed for the moment. God always shows up on time with everything you need in your life. His timing is impeccable. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket. He saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided, not might be provided. It will be provided. When you get on the mountain of God, you'll find the provision of God. The fourth thing that is important today Our lesson together is to learn to sow the seed that connects you to God that will meet your need. A lot of statement there. I'm going to break it apart for you in a moment, but a very important principle. You've got to sow a seed to meet your need. What happens to all of us when we have a pressing need in our life is our needs blind us. Our lack blinds us to the good things around us. Anytime you have a problem or a pain in your life, that problem or pain tends to take your attention away from everything else, and all you can see is that. It's just the natural thing that happens. This is exactly what happened to this lady. She was going through a really tough time, and all she could see was her lack. All she could see was her problem. All she could feel was her pain. 2 Kings 4, verse 2, Elijah replied to her, how can I help you? So she's cried out to Elisha. He He asked the question, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have where... In your, what what does it say? In your house. What do you have in your house? Your servant has, what's the next word there? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Let me talk about this for a moment. And so she's got this problem. Her sons are going to be taken to pay her debt. They will go into slavery. She's got this big issue. She cries out to Elisha, which is symbolic to us of us crying out to God. 
And so now Elisha says, you know, I'm good. you've asked me, what, what do you want me to do? Let me ask you a question now. What do you have in your house? You told me about your need. You're really occupied with your problem. You're really concerned about your lack. I know you're only thinking about your pain right now, but can you step back for a moment and tell me what do you have in your house? And she was so caught up in her problem, her response was, I don't have anything. I have nothing in my house. See, when you're occupied with pain, you think that there's nothing to to help you. There's no resource available for you. So she said, I don't have anything. And then she thought a little bit further, well, I do have a little jar of oil. I've got a little jar of oil there, but that that can't be anything of significance. I'm not even thinking about this as, as a part of my resource package, if you will. It caught her off guard as she thought about what was in her house, and she could only realize she had a small small flask of oil, but unbeknownst to this lady, that small flask of oil was going to become the seed for her deliverance. That small flask of oil was the seed of her possibility. It was a seed of potential. If she did what God told her to do with that small flask of oil, provision would come to her life. The seed for her future was already in her house. This is important. Because I will tell you today that the seed for your future provision is not somewhere else. It's already in your house. You're just not seeing it yet. Your eyes are so focused on the problem, you can't see the solution. Your eyes are so focused on the lack, you can't see the supply. But she had something in her house, but it was very small. It was quite small, significantly small in comparison to the largeness of the need. But here's an important thing to remember about God. God loves to do big things with small things. God will take a small thing and do big things with it. Jesus gave us a story in Matthew chapter 14, this principle, this event that happened in his life and ministry. He was preaching one day, and he had a large crowd of people. The Bible says there were 5,000 men there, plus the women and the children. And so as I've mentioned before, it's, it's highly likely that there could have been 10 or 15 or 20,000 people that day gathered on that hillside to hear Jesus speak this message. And so he finishes speaking the message, and he calls his 12 disciples around him and said, you know what, I think we should give them a meal before they go home. I think it would be nice for us to demonstrate some hospitality. And, you know, when you got, you know, they're hungry. They've been sitting here listening to this all day. We don't, want, we don't want to send them home on an empty stomach. You give them something to eat. Now, can you imagine him being one of the 12 disciples? So they quickly call a committee meeting. Jesus walks away. This is now our committee meeting. Jesus just told us to, I think there's a better idea. And now let's pick up the story as they go back to Jesus with their better idea. You ready for this? Here's the better idea of the disciples, beginning in verse 15. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus, we had a meeting. We talked to the CFO. He looked over the accounts, and it would be a whole lot better idea if we didn't have to deal with this like deal of kind of feeding everybody because it's a mess, and it just would be a whole lot easier and simpler. Just go tell everybody to go home and get something on the way. Stop by McDonald's as they're heading back to the village, okay? (laughs) Better idea, Jesus. 
Now, one, th- one of the things you got to love about Jesus, he, he, he loves to veto your ideas. Okay. Because in reality, he always has the best idea. Notice what he says now in verse 16. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, by this time, they'd already frantically searched through the crowd and commandeered a little boy's lunch because that was all they had. And so they found a little boy who had five loaves and two fish. And so that was kind of their backup plan. So we don't have anything here. They say in verse 17, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Now, would you agree that's lack compared to the need? Five loaves and two fish and 20,000, 15, uh, 10, 15, 20,000 people, five loaves and two fish. Notice what Jesus says, bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men beside Besides women and children. So notice what happens. Jesus said, bring the little bit to me. Give it to me because that's the seed for the need. There's a big need here, but I got to start with something. I got to start with a seed. And so the five loaves and the two fish, that's the seed for the need. Bring it to me and I'm going to bless it because I always bless seed. Seed is always smaller than what it will potentially become. You look at a massive oak tree, you know it began with a little seed. You could look at that seed to beginnings. I don't know the hope for that, but it produced a massive tree that'll last hundreds of years. Why? Because it's a seed with power and with potential. And so the five loaves and the two fish was the seed for the need. Now, a lot of folks say, well, yeah, he fed everybody, but I'm not sure how much everybody got. Maybe he gave them a little piece of bread, a little fish, you know, kind of like communion. Maybe that's kind of the way it was, okay? okay. No, the Bible says they all ate and were what? Satisfied. They all had enough and there was a leftover. That's how God works. And let's go back to the story of this widow and Elisha's ministry to her. What happened to her was that she took this important seed, this little jar of oil, and God began to do a miracle in her house with a seed. And God wants to do the same with you. You've got to give him your seed. There's a seed in your house right now. Let me talk about what that seed can be, and then we'll look at this lady again. The seed for your miracle could be a gift that God wants you to give. Maybe there's a gift. See, giving releases blessing in your life. It's true. Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Maybe there's something, there's a giving flow that God wants to get you into. I'm not talking about just giving to get. I'm talking about giving, you know, getting a place of obedience in the way that you give to God. And so giving allows blessing to flow. And then maybe there's an attitude that God wants you to change. Maybe that's the seed. Maybe you have an attitude in your life that nothing's going to happen in terms of, of a miracle until you change that attitude. Maybe it's a relationship that God wants you to men. Maybe you have some bitterness or resentment towards someone and God's asking you to change that in your life. That's the seed for your miracle. See, a lot of times we think we're waiting on God, but actually sometimes God is waiting on us. 
He's waiting on us to make some changes. Maybe there's an, ad, maybe there's an idea that God's going to give you that you can develop, and that idea will be the seed to your miracle. Maybe there's some steps that God wants you to take, or a commitment that God wants you to make, or a responsibility that God wants you to embrace. Maybe he's already given you an opportunity or responsibility. He wants you to embrace that and work it well. Maybe it's an act of service that God wants you to engage in, but I will tell you there is a seed in your house already. You've got to find the seed that will result in the meeting of your need. What is in your house? So you sow that seed, and then you, number five, participate in God's miracle-working process. This is what happened with the lady. There are miracles that will happen without our involvement at times, but most of the miracles of the Bible happen when we are engaged in the process. God works together with us. God wants to get you involved in your miracle. Look at 2 Kings 4, 3 through 6. This is what happened now. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. He said, this is how your miracle, you got this jar of oil, right? That's your seed. Everybody say seed. seed. There's your seed right there, right? Now, here's what I want you to do. You found the oil. I know it's a little bit, but here's what you do next. Go around all of your neighbors and ask them for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. And then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Notice what happened here. She's got her seed, right? Flask of, of oil. She's found her seed. Now God says, go to all your neighbors and ask them to borrow jars. She goes next door. Hi, I'm your neighbor. Can I have all your jars? What do you need them for? I have no idea. Have your jars? Yeah, give me, what's this for? I don't have a clue. This guy told me I just got to get jars. I will bring them back to you, okay? She goes around all of her neighbors, gets all the jars, brings them back, and then she's instructed to do what? To start taking her little seed and pouring it out into the jars. See, your seed will never work as long as it stays in, in its jar, okay? Are you hearing me this morning? That's another message for another day. I'm tempted to preach it right now, but I'm not going to, okay? okay, okay. If you keep your seed in its jar, it'll never, it'll never do a single thing for you. You got to do something with your seed. So she began to pour it out. She hits one jar, another jar, goes through all the jars. All of them are filling up. And every time she fills up, this one refills again, miraculously. So it's a miracle. But she's involved in it. God didn't pour the jar for her. She poured it, right? God didn't get the vessels. She went and got them, right? She was involved. So she had to do something. So there are three things you're going to have to do if this miracle is going to work in your life. You find your seed, yes, but then you operate with faith. You have faith that God's going to show up and do what he said he's going to do. So you operate with this sense of faith and expectancy in God's work in your life. And then you have to obey. You can't just sit back and hold on to your seed. You've got to use it. You've got to make that step of giving. You've got to deal with that attitude. You've got to forgive that person. You've got to develop that idea. You've got to do, take those steps. You've got to do this process. And so you use your faith. Yes, I believe, but now I'm going to be obedient. Then I'm going to also be persistent and faithful in this process. I'm going to keep pouring until every jar is full. I'm not going to stop in the journey. I'm going to pour till every jar is full. And this lady demonstrated her faith, her obedience, her persistence, her faithfulness. And of course, what happened is a tremendous miracle. It was a private family miracle. Did you hear that? Where did this miracle happen? 
not in the church house. It happened in the widow's house. It happened in the privacy of their own home. In fact, Elisha said, you go in and you shut the door and you bring your sons in there with you. This is going to be God showing up in your house. And make sure your kids are there because I want to make sure your kids see what God's about to do. You know, sometimes you need to get your kids in on the miracles, okay? Don't leave the kids outside, but say, come on, kids, we're going to see God do something in this family. So in the privacy of their house with the doors shut and the kids in the house with mama, God did a miracle in their life that's absolutely astounding because of the fact that she engaged in the process. The last point I will give you today is this. You and I need to then expect God to provide abundantly. Note the end of the story. We've already read it. Let me read it one more time. Verse 7. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Isn't that wonderful? So they, get, they went out and sold it, and all the debts were paid, and we don't know how much money was left over, but it was enough. It was far better than Social Security. Okay. Okay. Amen? Okay. It was plenty for her to live the rest of her life and be provided for as a widow. God resourced her because God did a miracle where in her, in her house. Dear ones, can I remind you today that God cares about your house. He wants to be Jehovah Jireh in your house. Find your seed. What is the seed? What is in your house? Find the seed in your house. Don't hold on to the seed. By faith, believe that God can take that seed and then obey him, do what you need to do with it, and trust God to abundantly provide for you. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, thank you this morning for the opportunity we've had to study your word. We're grateful for the word of God, the encouragement it brings to us, the faith it builds in us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Thank you that you put faith in us today, Lord God. And I pray for every person here today that's going through a time of lack in their life. Whatever the lack is, I pray that you'd show them the seed that is already in their house, God. I, I don't know what that is, and maybe they don't even know what it is, but Lord, maybe it's a, it's a giving process. Maybe it's, a, it's an attitude that needs to change. Maybe, Lord, it's a, it's, a, it's a relationship that needs to be mended. Maybe there's an idea that you've given them that needs to be developed. Lord, whatever it might be, I pray. Maybe it's a responsibility you want them to embrace. Whatever the seed is, God, I pray you'd show that seed to them. And God, help them with faith and obedience, persistence, and faithfulness to move forward using that seed and see you abundantly provide. We trust you for this in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. 
Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.